0: Good afternoon. A hearty welcome to all here who, who are present here and to also those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel make us turn towards our saviour, Jesus Christ, in thankfulness and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory, as elders only, will meet tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock in the Consistory room. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together hymn 80 verse 1, 5 and 6.
1: Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sing a hymn of pray, or a song of praise to God. Let's sing together from Psalm 72, the verses 1 and 10. Let's now make a profession of our faith. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let everyone say with me in his heart, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into hell. On the third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of of God the Father Almighty from where he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 105, verse 3. now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God, your Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we may come before you knowing that you are the king of the universe, that you're seated on the throne. We rejoice in the power, in the majesty, in the holiness, in the glory that you have. We also rejoice, Father, that it is your pleasure to have a relationship with us. When we damaged the relationship with our sin, that you took it upon yourself to restore this relationship once again. And we thank you, Lord, for the immense cost that you were willing to bear to do so. You sent your own son, your one and only, into this world to bear our curse for our sins. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the mercy that you show us in Christ. We pray, Lord, that we may open your word this afternoon, that we may consider the extent of your love towards us, and that our hearts may be filled with gratitude for the the kindness that you show us. Father in heaven, help us to allow this event to be the most foundational event of our lives, that our identity is found in you, that it's found in the work that you've accomplished through Jesus Christ, that we belong to him, that he is our Lord, and that we are your people. Dear Father in heaven, we we pray that as we open your word this afternoon, that we may drink it in, please grant that your word is powerful, that it may speak to us, and we thank you for the privilege of having this time. Please give us a rich measure of your Holy Spirit. Father, the, the natural man is not able to understand the things of the Spirit, because they're spiritually discerned, and so we pray that you would make us into spiritual men, that you give us the Spirit of Christ, that we may understand what Christ has freely done for us. Please grant that through, through your work that your word makes sense to us, that we may believe it, that we may be convicted and devote our lives in service before you. Father, we confess to you that we're also sinners, that we need your help in these things. We ask you for your grace in Christ. Amen. So This afternoon, brothers and sisters, we're going to consider the, the gift that God has given us in a mediator and his son, Jesus Christ. and the qualifications that that mediator needs to have. And one of the places in which the Lord teaches us about those qualifications is in the book of Hebrews. We're going to read together from Hebrews 2. So I invite you to open your Bible, you're going to read Hebrews 2 starting at verse 1. You can find that on page 1187 in your guest Bible. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So far the reading of God's word, let's now sing together of the suffering that our Lord endured on our behalf. We're going to sing from Psalm 22, the verses 1, 3, and 8. This afternoon, I may preach the gospel to you concerning the qualifications of the mediator who can stand between God and us. We're going to look at that by looking at what the Bible teaches and what the Church summarizes in Lord's Day 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So Lord's Day 6, you can find that on page 522 of your book of praise. The first question there asks: Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of the divine nature, he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator, who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As we read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later, he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and the other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. After the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 19, the verses 1, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, there's times in life when we need help. Sometimes you, you just can't do it by yourself. See it happens sometimes in business, for example. Some men, I've seen it in cabinet making shops, if someone in a cabinet making shop, they, they want to streamline their business, they need someone with a background in, in engineering, materials management. Someone who's able to, to buy the right machines, to streamline things in the shop, to train up the guys, to bring the business to the next level. Or maybe another issue for a cabinet maker, I've seen a cabinet maker once, they wanted to, to raise their business, what do they need? They need someone to, an IT professional, someone who's really good with software, so that the guy who goes on site and measures up the, the, uh, the kitchen, automatically that goes to the office and they're able to, to make up the kitchen, and automatically, that talks to the machines on the floor, so they're able to, to cut the kitchen, and automatically, the guys who install are able to tap into that to show that the work is done and to be able to accomplish what was set out to do. Well, you're the owner. You're not an IT professional. You're not an engineer. You don't have the skills, the abilities. and You, see, you need help. You need someone to come in and to do it for you. Another example, in Northern British Columbia, we used to live in BC, you had the oil sands, it's a new company, Athabasca Oil, six billion dollar company, they bought some property there, they're going to start up a new business, well they need someone to manage the IT, to set up the IT for the entire business. The current owners, they have no capability in that, and so they bring a consultant, they farm it out to someone who has the expertise. Well that kind of thing, it happens not only in business, sometimes it happens in our families. You have a child who's developmentally delayed, and you just don't have a sense of what it takes in order to raise this child and how to do it well. Or sometimes you, you have your children and you just have a lot of distress within your family because things aren't going well for your children. Or sometimes the same thing happens in, in the government, happens in education, it can happen financially. You're really You made a really big gamble with something and you lost a whole stack of money unless someone bails you out. And so you really need someone to step up and to help out. Well, if you're in that situation, then it really helps to find the right person. You need someone who has the expertise, who has the skills, who has the knowledge, who has the money, who has the ability to make it happen. If you can find the right person, it's huge. You figure it out, you move forward, you're able to, to set out what you need to do to accomplish what needs to happen. And the bigger the stakes, the more important it is to find the right person. It's one thing if you're broke because some bad decisions, you need some investor to, to help you out. It's quite another thing if you're a doctor. Someone in front of you is really sick, and if you make the wrong diagnosis and you make the wrong decisions, the person could die. It's quite serious. If you're an army general, you're faced with a certain situation, you need to make decisions. Do you go this way? Do you go that? Do you take this approach? Do you take another approach? You have hundreds, you have thousands of lives that are dependent upon your decisions. The situation here in our catechism is the ultimate situation. We need the right person to help us in relationship with god our biggest need it's not a business need it's not a financial need it's not even a an interpersonal human relational need it is a spiritual need we need someone to reconcile us to god someone to put us in a right relationship with him someone to win god's favor for us so that his face shines upon us instead of sending his wrath down upon us. So who's the right person? And what qualifications does he need? Well, we all know that Christ is the one who helps us. The question is, what are his qualifications? What did it take for Jesus Christ to be able to help us? What does he have that no one else has? The reason it's important to understand these questions is because you need to not only look to the right person to help you, but you also need to understand what he calls you to when you put your faith in him. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the right person, that he's the one who's going to restore the relationship between you and God, then you also need to follow him. You need to follow his instructions and his directions. And that's going to have huge impact on your life. And so we're going to consider this under the following theme Jesus Christ has what it takes to be our mediator. We're going to see, in the first place, the qualifications of our mediator, and secondly, the gift of our mediator. So, what are his qualifications? Why is Christ able to to pay for all his sin, all our sins? Well, he meets the the most basic criteria that God has set. In the first place, he's a real human being. That's something explained to us in the, the passage we read together. If you want to open Hebrews 2 with me, we'll just read a few verses together there. We're going to start reading in Hebrews 2 verse 10. So read Hebrews 2 verses 10 to 12. It says in Hebrews 2, verse 10, For it was fitting that he, by whom, sorry, that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, all of one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So the Lord is the one by whom and for whom all things exist. And for our salvation, he is the the source of us. He's also the the source of Jesus Christ. And he gave Christ the task. He said, you need to share the same nature as those whom, whom you are going to save. And so it says here that... He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And so the context here is that the, the author to the Hebrews, he's writing to these Christians, they're, they're relatively new Christians, it seems that most of them are of Jewish origin. And they, they used to have a prominent position in the synagogue, they used to have easy, comfortable lives. But when they came to faith in Christ, and they started to suffer. And it was getting really hard for them. And they're in this place where they're, they're asking themselves, is it really worth it? Do I really want to do this? And then the author to the Hebrews his point, the whole point of his letter is he's saying, Christ is worth it. He's totally worth it. Whatever you do, don't give up on Jesus Christ. He starts in chapter 1, he says, Christ is greater than the angels. And then he comes to chapter 2 and he says, Christ is worth it because he's done it for us. He came from heaven to do what you failed to do. He's willing to be called your brother to be able to accomplish what you are not able to do. And so that's why the author starts in Hebrews 2 verse 1. He says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Don't turn your back on Jesus Christ, because he's the one who can help you. In the first place, he helps because he shares your nature. He came as a human being, and he's not ashamed to call you brother. And that's the same point the author to the Hebrews makes a few verses later. It's in verse 14. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those, all those who through their fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ took on flesh and blood. He shared our nature. His whole reason for becoming a human being is to have the qualities that it took in order to rescue us. As Paul says here, to make propitiation for our sins, to bear God's wrath for our sins. You need someone who can save you from your sins, brothers and sisters, someone to atone, to make propitiation. And one of his crucial expertise is that he bears God's wrath, he endures God's anger. And to do that, he has to be a person, he's not an angel, he's not an animal. He's not this unique creature, half God, half man, kind of like a mermaid or a centaur or something like that. No, he's a real human being. He shares in our same nature. You can think of what God says, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So in the first place, he has to be a man, In the second place, his other quality is that he needs to be true God. There's no other human being who can bear God's wrath. This is something that the author to the Hebrews, he also emphasizes. If you go back one page, go back to Hebrews 1. The first two verses of Hebrews 1 there, then he emphasizes, so his whole point here is to say that Christ, he's the only one who can help you. And so he's building the case. And so he starts in the very first verses And he spells out how Jesus Christ is true God. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so the author says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It says that he created, it's through Christ that God created the world. And it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He reflects God's glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. If you you see Jesus Christ, then you see someone who has the exact same nature as God himself. It's through Christ that God created the world, it's Christ himself who upholds the world. The author is building the case here. He's saying Christ is God, he's way superior to the angels. He's someone who who has the necessary qualities in order to be the kind of mediator that you need. And then finally, the next quality that Christ has is that even though he's become a real human being, even though he shared our nature, the scripture says that he never sinned. It's not so much emphasized in our text here in Hebrews 2, but if you go a couple of chapters ahead, if you go to Hebrews 4, the author to the Hebrews makes the point in chapter 4 there chapter 4 verse 15 maybe I'll start reading with you in verse 14 Hebrews 4:14 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so he's saying here that he is like us. Sorry, he's one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. And so we have a mediator here. He's true God. He's a true man. And he's a righteous man. He has the unique qualities of being God and man, and never having sinned. He's just the right person. We don't need an IT professional. We don't need some angel investor. We don't need someone who's really gifted and working with children. We need someone who's true God, true man, and righteous man. And Christ fits the bill. And then it's really interesting when you pay attention to the context within which the author to the Hebrews speaks about these things, then the first point that he makes, what he's really talking about here is he's talking about how Christ can rescue us from our sins. He mentions it over and over. He's describing these qualities and he attaches it time and time again with his work of saving us, of being a mediator for us. It's in Hebrews 2 verse 10, just before telling us that Christ is our brother, it says that he is the founder of our salvation. He's the one on whom our salvation is based. And then a little later in verse 14, we're told that he shares in our flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ has come to save you from the power of death, he's come to save you from the power of the devil. He's come to slave you from the one who holds you in fear. Many of us, we don't have that fear. We know Christ, we believe in Christ, we are in Christ. And as those who are in Christ, we have the Spirit in us. And so he gives us a glorious hope of a future. We heard about that message this morning. There is a promised land that we're looking forward to. But if you don't know Christ, and if you're not in Christ, and if you don't have that, many times you live in fear of death. And I've spoken with quite a few people who at one stage were not believers, and later on they came to be, to be believers in Jesus Christ. They became members of Christ church. And they talk about this profound difference between the grieving that happens with those people who are not believers and the grieving that happens for those people who know Christ. It's radically different. There's a hopelessness for those who don't know Christ. But there's an underlying peace. There's an underlying assurance for those who know Christ. And this is the gift of your savior. He saves you. From fear of death. He saves you from death itself. He saves you from the devil. Who is the power of death. We read a similar thing in Hebrews 2 verse 17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In service of God. To make propitiation For the sins of the people. So it says here. He's made like his brothers in every respect. He has our nature. He can do it for us. And what does he have to do? He has to be a merciful and a faithful high priest. He has to make propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation. It's a really expensive word. It means to atone for sin. By paying for wrath. By enduring wrath. And so Christ bears our wrath. To atone for our sin. And he does that as someone who is true man. It is in Hebrews 1 verse 3, immediately after telling us that Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, that it talks about how he came to make purification for sins. And so the author to the Hebrews, he's building a case here, he's making it very clear to us that the reason Christ is true God and true man is because he can save us from our sins, and he can restore us to God. He has what it takes to be our mediator. Well, then it's also interesting when you read through these passages, and the author to the Hebrews, when he talks about Christ as the one who's able to rescue us from our sins as true God and true man, and he also speaks about the calling that Christ received. God called him to suffer. The way to be a mediator was through suffering. Hebrews 2 verse 10, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Christ is the founder of our salvation. He's bringing many sons to glory, and he does it through suffering. God sent him to this world to suffer. Verse 9 says, it says that he suffered death in order to taste death for everyone. In verse 14 it says that he shared our flesh and blood and died so that through his death he might free us from our fear of death and the power of the devil. He died. And the author just kind of passes over that here in this passage, but if you go back to the Gospels and if you think about what it was really like for Christ to die, then you get a bit more of a sense of the suffering that he endured as our mediator. It was absolutely brutal. During the course of his life, Christ had this intimate communion together with his Father. He knew his Father, and he loved his Father, and he trusted his Father, and and there was this this unity that they had since all eternity. And then when he came to this earth, he still had the unity. He often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. He prayed. But then the time came when the Father's face was going to turn against him. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he's in anguish. It's a word that's never used of Christ elsewhere. He's in this profound anguish. He's troubled in spirit. Again, that language is never used of Christ elsewhere. He has these great drops of blood like sweat falling off his body. And then he pleads with his father, and he says, Father, if it's at all possible, if there's any way, can you please take this cup from me? And yet he still submits, he says, not as I will, but as you will. Well, he had to endure this, this profound suffering of the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath. In the end, he submitted, he drank the cup, he died and he bore God's eternal wrath against our sins. And so the author to the Hebrews here, he's, he's emphasizing the suffering that Christ had to endure as our mediator. It's in Hebrews 2, verse 18, it gets back to it. First in verse 17, it summarizes that he had to be made like us in every respect so that he can be a merciful and a faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for our sins. And then in verse 18, it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He suffered. When he was tempted. Being a mediator was a hard job. The devil came to him and he attacked him and attacked him and attacked him. There were so many times and in so many ways in which he was mocked. In which his authority was challenged. In which the devil tried to get him to take glory for himself at the moment. To show off how powerful he really was. And every single time he had to turn away from that. He had to deny himself. He was tempted, and he suffered in the midst of that temptation. The reason this is so important, brothers and sisters, is because it's only by being our mediator through suffering that he's able to help us who are also suffering. So the deal is is that if you look to Jesus Christ as your Savior, then... You need to walk as Christ did. Just because Christ is your mediator, doesn't mean that it's all smooth sailing. We must believe in him. We must trust him. We must put our hope in him. And he told us up front, he says, if you believe in me, then they're going to treat you the same way that they treated me. He didn't come to this world as, as someone who was brilliant, and capable, someone who was a king or in any kind of other kind of honored position, who came in great humility and he lived a life of service. When he first came to this world, he was a nobody. He lived in the backlands of Nazareth. He grew up, and at the very beginning, Herod wanted to kill him. His own family members. When he first started his ministry, his own town, but later his family members, they rejected him. They didn't believe that he was who he said he was. When he started proclaiming himself to the people and telling who he was, then they totally misinterpreted. They thought that he would be a military ruler. He comes riding into Jerusalem and they They get them this colt and they lay out their their clothes on the road, these palm branches, and they start singing the song, Psalm 118, because this is the one who's going to save us from the Romans. But then he had to warn them and he had to tell them. He says, it's not like that. I'm not here to come in glory. I'm not here with military might or power. I've come here to suffer. Because the way to save you is through suffering. Well, who wants a humble mediator, who wants to admit that they need help from somebody who's a nobody, from somebody who is crucified, someone who is scorned and mocked and disdained by the Roman authorities and by all the people? Well, if you confess Christ as your Savior, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised if you suffer the kind of abuse that Christ suffered. Matthew 16, verse 24, our Lord Jesus told us about that. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God's telling you it's not about your comfort and your pleasure. It's not about having an easy life. It's not about getting the things that you want to get. It's not as if you can use God in order to receive the kind of life that you expect to receive. If you follow Christ as your mediator, then it's about submitting to God. It's about following him. It's about being willing to endure whatever he puts in your path. Christ actually told us, he says, it's not abnormal for you to suffer as my people. He says, this is something you ought to expect. Acts 14, verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or in Hebrews 11, we're, we're told about a list of believers who've gone before us and who counted the kingdom of heaven of such value that they're willing to endure great suffering to share in Christ's kingdom. It's a very challenging message for us, brothers and sisters. We live in a culture that says, you deserve the life that you want to have. You deserve to be comfortable. You deserve an easy life. You know, the latest thing they talk about, they talk about this this universal salary that everyone receives. You deserve to have a universal basic income. And so no matter if you work or don't work, no matter what your situation, everybody deserves to receive this kind of an income. If something's wrong, then you need to hold somebody accountable who's not doing their job so that you can live the comfortable life that you're used to living. Well, that kind of worldview is very appealing to us. It's It's very easy to fall into that kind of thinking. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't talk like that. He didn't say those kind of things. Though so Matthew 19, we're told of the rich young man who came to the Lord Jesus and asked him what good thing he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Christ told him not only to obey the commandments, when he confessed that he had done so, then Christ told him, if you want to be perfect, then go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Well, Christ knew the young man's heart. He'd set his heart on wealth. And so Christ said, it doesn't work that way. It's not that you get to have your wealth and you get to tack me on as an aside. If you want me to be your mediator, you need to follow me. Me first and me only. That's the cost. For having Christ as your savior. Is there anything that you value more than a relationship with Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters? Is there anything that holds the center of your life instead of your Savior? If there is something, you need to repent. You need to confess that. You need to ask God for forgiveness. If you wish to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you must take up your cross and you must follow him. You must deny yourself. If you wanna try to save your life, you wanna have your cake and eat it, you wanna have your cake and you wanna have Jesus Christ as a side, then God says, you're gonna lose your life. If you wanna try to have a good, fulfilling, pleasurable, satisfying life by pursuing your own desires, then in the end, you're going to lose your life. It's not the way for the followers of our Lord Jesus. Instead, he calls us to serve. He calls us to believe in him. He calls us to accept whatever it is that follows our confession of him place where he works it out. Another place he works it out is with his disciples. James and John come to him. Their mother asks Jesus, can my two sons sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? And Christ asks them. He says, do you have any idea what you're asking? Do you really know what you're getting into? You want to sit at my right and left hand? Are you able to bear the cup that I had to bear? Are you able to go through the suffering that I had to endure? If you want to have that position, then you need to live the life that I did. And they said, yes, yes, we're in, all in, yes, please. And Christ said to them, he said, well, you will bear the cup. But he says, to give the place at my right or left hand, it's not for me to give. Those, those places belong to those who my Father has determined. And then he used the opportunity to teach a more general lesson to, his, to the rest of his disciples He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. If you wish him to be your mediator, brothers and sisters, that you follow him, and you walk in his ways, that you put your hope in him. The author to the Hebrews, he was building the case, and he was saying, you need to understand that it's totally worth it. Yes, you may suffer. You will go through hard times. But don't deny Jesus Christ, because he's the only one who has the qualifications to bring you into the heavenly kingdom. He's the only one who can bring you into the promised land. And so he calls you to follow him. He calls you to believe in him. He calls you to trust in him. And then he says, and when you suffer, then he won't leave you on your own. He himself suffered. He was tempted, and he endured that, so that he's able to help those who are being tempted. It's in the day when you're suffering, it's at the time when life gets difficult for the sake of Christ that you look to him and you ask him for help. And you say, Lord, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. And then he says, but I do. And I'll give it to you. I'll help you in that moment. And God's grace is sufficient for the moment. It says we rely upon him that he carries us through. He gives us what we need. And he brings us to glory. And so, brothers and sisters, look to Christ as your mediator. He has what it takes. And he loves to bring you to glory. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 19, verses 1, 3, and 4. Brothers and sisters, let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving in prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we're going to remember in the first place our sister Minka Brower. Um, so our sister has suffered from panic attacks for some time. It's been quite debilitating for her. She's under doctor's care for this, and so we'll bring her before the Lord's throne of grace. Ask the Lord to, to help the, the doctors, to bless them, and also just to, to help the family, that God would give peace to the family and provide stability for them. Father in heaven, we also wish to ask you that you bless us in all the other circumstances of our lives. I want to pray, Lord, that you you help us in our families. I want to pray that our families can be places where there's a lot of peace and joy. There's a great deal of love and kindness and compassion. Be with husbands and wives that they may love each other from the heart. Grant us that within our families that we can create safe spaces for our children to grow up. Father, we, in our time, one of the the real enemies that we face is busyness. We're often so busy with so many commitments. Sometimes it's work, and, and sometimes it's serving in other capacities. Sometimes it's family members, and sometimes it's being with friends. Sometimes it's being online. Sometimes it's, it's following all our, our contacts and social media. So often it happens that, that we're extremely busy, and we feel weary and worn out. And sometimes it happens then, Lord, that we, we don't take time to be with you, and we feel scattered, and we feel as if we, we can't settle down to draw near to you. We pray, Father, that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that you hold on to us so that we're not so busy. Help us take quiet time to be with you, to speak with you, and to hear what you have to say to us, and to grow in a relationship with you. Father, there's so many other challenges that we face in our families as well. We pray that you would help our children to forsake the world. Our world impinges upon us, there's so much evil, and it, it's so easy to get caught up in these things. And so we ask that for our children that you put a hedge around them. Help them to make good decisions. Help them to seek to be accountable to, to their parents, to their peers. Help them to mutually encourage each other, to set a context where there's, there's faith, where there's obedience, where there's kindness, where there's gentleness. We ask that in our families, that you would please gift the gift of children. We have a number of of the women of our congregation who are expecting. We pray for your blessing upon that, that in due time, the children may be born, that things may go well. We also pray, Father, that that within our families, that you you bless us, that our homes can be places where we invite others to to share, that we have an open home to the single members, to, to those who are widowed, that we're able to invite people in to, to give them a, a place where they, they may be comfortable and where they can be blessed. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the community of the saints. Thank you for the way in which we function. We ask, Lord, that you, you help us to have a spirit of hospitality and kindness in our dealings with one another. And Lord, we, we also wish to, to ask for you that you give us physical health and strength and also mental and emotional help. We just heard the news for our sister Minka Brower that she often faces anxiety attacks. And that this is quite debilitating for her and for her family. Father, we entrust our sister to your throne of grace. We pray that you help the doctors, that they're able to ascertain what's going on, that they're able to help her. And we pray, Father, that, that you would be near to her, that you give her the peace of Christ, and that she can have rest. Lord, please also take care of her husband. Please be near to Darren. And please give him the strength and the, the endurance that he needs to support the family support his wife, and to grant that thing, the things make a well. Please surround them with a, a rich measure of your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, that, that you love to help your people. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you see the difficulties we face. There's many others in our church who, who also suffer from mental and emotional difficulties that they face, and We pray that you you be near to to all your children, for Christ's sake. And then, Father, we also wish to ask you for a blessing over the elderly members of our congregation. We ask that you provide for them, that you look after them with all the the difficulties they face. We also wish to bring before you Fairhaven. I want to pray that that this home for the care of the elderly members of our church may be blessed. You've been looking for registered nurses. We want to pray that you would raise people up who are able to do this that there can be good care for the elderly members and that everything may go well for them. We also pray, Lord, that you would please bless the, the work that's been done at the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. We're grateful that the exams are finished, that the, the year is done again. We wanna pray that you be near to the professors, that they're able to, to mark the exams and finish all the work that they need to do. I wanna pray also, Lord, that you be with the students this coming summer. Many of them have internships in different ways some of them going to mission posts, some of them doing some work in in catechism teaching, some of them doing a a full internship together with with experienced ministers in the federations. We ask, Lord, for your blessing over this work, that they're able to accomplish the work and that it may go well and that you would grant your blessing upon it. Father, we ask that you would also please accept the thank offerings that we collect for this work and that you would bless these offerings so that they serve the well-being of your churches. Father, we ask that you would Please also take care of our missionaries. Thank you, Lord, for, for the work that they can do. Thank you for the blessing that they're able to be. I want to pray that you could give them continued safety. We're also grateful, Lord, for the help that could be offered to this brother whose hand was injured in a, in a fight with, with others. Really grateful for the, for the, for the gift of kindness and the, the generosity that made this possible. And we pray for a blessing over the operation this brother receives as well. Father, please be near to to Reverend Pohl and, and to Reverend De Jong and, and to Ben Van de And please also take care of the Indigenous pastors and, and bless the work that's being done for the rest and the mission work there. And grant your grace over it. Please forgive us for, for all the sins that we have committed, Father. Please be near to us this coming week. Bless the, the education of the children and bless the teachers and the work they do as well. Bless each one of us and the tasks that we have and grant that we may be faithful in doing so. We pray these things... In Jesus' name, amen. So brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to to have a collection for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. After the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 16, verses 1, 3, and 5. Receive God's blessing and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.